All right, today's going to be a great day, and it already has been, amen? It really has. You know, one of the real gifts to the church in general, to us as the body of Christ, is corporate worship, isn't it? Just to be able to worship together in song, um, have other voices drowning uh, yours out, and uh, what an awesome thing. And uh, I'm trying not to have uh, spiritual gift envy when they get up here and sing, but you know, we try. But uh, today we're kicking off a brand new series called Four Loves, Four Loves. And uh, as we uh, just take the pun of February and it being Valentine's, guys, PSA, you're welcome. Get your phone out, put it in your calendar, look it up. It's probably already in there, you just need to look ahead and do a little planning. So uh, there you go. But as we consider this month, this idea of love, right? Love. Um, and we take the month to talk about it. We're going to talk about it for all four weeks here of February. Um, you know, I, I couldn't help but think as, as I was prepping for this week, you know, everybody loves a good love story, don't they? I mean, I was a product of, well, I was born in the 80s. We won't talk about that. But like what I mostly remember is the 90s, right? And uh, the 90s had some really great cheesy love stories uh, in, in film and, and song, and I'll spare you from those. But when I think about love story, um, everybody has one, right? I mean, whether it's, whether it's middle school or high school or, you know, you have a good one. My favorite are the bad ones. Amen. My favorite is a good uh, love story gone wrong, right? And uh, I have a little bit of my own. Uh, but it rebounded nicely. But if you've been at Redeemer for any length of time, uh, you've probably heard this story, but I'm going to tell it again because many of you are new. And uh, I want you to know this about uh, my own love story with my beautiful wife, Camden, who's right over there if you want to make her feel awkward. Uh, you can look. But um, when we were dating, I, uh, I pretty pretty quickly knew that uh, I needed to wrap this puppy up like, if, if I let that slip away, the rest of my life literally was going to be worse than it would with her uh, in it. And uh, no matter how painful that was, as she was making me into what I needed to be. And uh, she had a vision, right? And um, so you can ask her about that. It starts with the jeans that I chose to wear and uh, moved on from there. But um, I'll never forget... It was a cold, like real cold. I grew up just north of Philadelphia, not like today, but, uh, you know, where we get our coats and boots out, you know, amen. And, you know, not like today, it was actually cold. And it was a, like a December night because we had flown to Pennsylvania. And it was the first time Camden, like, was uh, met my parents, I think. I might be remembering those details wrong, but it was something like that. But here's what I do remember. We were in the driveway uh, at my house on Maisie Drive in Quakertown, Pennsylvania, in my beautiful, not-so-beautiful, 88 Toyota Celica, five on the floor, right? Spray-painted by yours truly. It was very impressive to your future wife. And I looked at Camden. It was dark, and I said, Camden, I love you for the first time. Oh, say it too. And she looked back at me and said, okay. <laughs> Epic fail. <laughs> All right, we'll see you, see you later. No, but uh, you know what I look back on and love about that story in the moment, it was like, 
okay. Just buried my soul for the first time ever. Well, she made me work for it. She made me work for it. She, she, I think at the time already, she would tell you that she did love me. But one of the things I appreciated about that is she made me work for it. And uh, it would take some time, and I'm happy to report she did, in fact, end up loving me in return and uh, letting me know that. And uh, we have been happily married for a long time. And, uh, you know, God was really good to me in that and gave me a gift of love in Camden. But she made me work for it. Right. And and I think as we transition into a series about love and about these four loves that we're going to talk about, like we have to ask the question, what is love? I mean, we say I love pizza and I love my wife. Those should be different categories. Amen. Like they should be. But are they? Maybe that was the wrong choice. Bad example. Pizza's high on the list. Yeah. Moving on, where am I at? (laughs) But in in the Greek language, in ancient Greek language, Koine Greek, which is what most of the New Testament was written in, uh, there's four words for love. There are four words. Only three of them, though, are found in your New Testament. And I think that's important. But if we're going to understand the Bible, better yet, the Scripture says God is love. We better understand love, right? We better understand it at a deeper level than our feelings. So there, there are four words in ancient Greek for love. It's agape, phileo, storge, and eros. And we get some of our words uh, even today from those. But three of them appear in the Bible and we need to understand them. But the problem, if I could... I, if I could identify a problem that we face in our own culture and even within the church culture. If I could identify the problem that we face today, it's that few people have really any idea of what true love is. True love. Sacrificial love. Most people, including those of us who are Christians, uh, We might say the right thing, but we often act and live in such a way that we only think of it in terms of warm feelings, romance, and our desires. That is typically where our mind goes, where our heart goes when we talk about love. When we say, I love you, we often mean, I love me and I want you. That's really what we act like most of the time. And exhibit A, I'm guilty. You know, I I laugh about the relationship and how it started with my wife. And they're wonderful memories. But that statement I made to her as a college student was not proof of my love for her. It felt good. But my proof of love for her has been faithfully walking with her and being with her for 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 years now and showing it, working from it. I don't have to work for it anymore, but I certainly work from it because I do. I love my wife. So it's not just my feelings because isn't that really the worst sort of selfishness? To say I love you 
or to be loving, but only for the opposite reasons of true love. What we want to do over the next four weeks is really go after what is true love. Because I mentioned that there was one that's not mentioned in Scripture, and I think it's really important. It's the eros word, which is more of the sexual love. And that one's not in there because Scripture tells us to flee sexual immorality, to flee lust. Isn't it interesting that the only one that's not used in here, though it was frequently used in that ancient language, in secular writings, you can find it everywhere. Not used in Scripture like the other three. Why is that? You know, in Hebrews 13, I think we're clued into that because the marriage bed is pure. The marriage bed is undefiled. It's not centered on our lust to satisfy our own appetite. But more on that in week three. (laughs) So stay tuned. But C.S. Lewis in his book, Four Loves, ding, 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 that's where the title came from. But uh, And I would encourage you to get it if you uh, want to dig in a little farther on it. It's ob- also, fun fact, it's the only one that we have of C.S. Lewis reading in his own voice. So, fun fact for you if you are into that and want to do that. But what he does is he distinguishes between these two ideas of love, gift love and need love. And I want you to just sit with that for a minute because divine love is gift love. Divine love, God's love, is purely a gift of love. And when you really go into that, it's need love that is human. Even in its best forms, we are, we are people that have a need for love. And that can go quickly south, because need love is our desire to be loved. It's the fact that we need it from each other, that we need it from God, um, and it's more natural to need. But need love can also be a horrific thing, can it? You know, insert any dictator of the past, or even in a smaller way, our own needs can trump what is best, what we think we need. The demand for love can quickly become sinful, can it? However, it's not, need love is not entirely sinful because no, none of us would ever scold a child for needing their mother, right? So even in our need love, there is a, an aspect that that is the way that we've been created. We've been created to need love. And God in his providence has gifted us true love in Jesus And so in reality, as Lewis goes on to point out in his book, we were created to need each other. God created us for community. He created you to need the people around you. That's why we make such a big deal about city groups. And not not even just about the content that can be provided or, or any of that, but just the recognition that as basic creatures, we have need for relationships. To be in community. So we make a big deal out of it. But beyond that, our love for God, when we really think about true love, our love for God is entirely need love. It's entirely 
need-based. We don't bring anything to the table when it comes to our relationship with God. It is all gift because here's what Scripture tells. says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Further, it says in Ephesians, we were dead in our sins when Christ died for us. And in case you're wondering, dead people don't do anything. We don't bring that to the table. He does. He does. So today we're talking about love, but more specifically, we're talking about one of those words, which is affection. And I want to begin in a scripture that lays out the fruit of a life that is in Christ. A fruit, the fruit of a life in Christ. What does life look like when you look to Jesus for salvation and he gives that to you? When he gives you salvation as you look up and surrender to him and he gives you that. And then the Holy Spirit moves in and he begins to transform you as a child of God, adopted into his family, and he begins to conform us into his own image. What does that look like? When gift love comes, is one way to think of it, when gift love comes, when grace goes in, what is it that comes out? What is the fruit of that kind of love come into your life? Go to Romans chapter 12 with me and we'll camp out there for most of today. Romans chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen and uh, you can follow along with us. It's also on the YouVersion Bible app and you can get in there and take notes and uh, follow along with us. But Romans chapter 12, starting in verse number 9, here is what Scripture says. It says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's what a Christian life looks like. Drawing near to Jesus will produce that in you. 
But what is missed when we just go straight to the fruit? What's missed when you jump to Romans chapter 12, verse 9 and following? You've missed all of Romans chapter 1 through 11, right? (laughs) And we have to acknowledge that. That Romans chapter 1 through 11 is all of what God has done, right? So at the beginning of Romans, you're given the diagnosis of who humanity really is apart from Christ. And then you move your way through and you learn about that and you learn about this God who loves. And then Romans 8, the great 8, tells you all about this God who came and spared nothing so that you could be with him. And it says, if God is for you, who can be against you? Nothing can separate you from the love that is in Christ. And so we have to distinguish between what is done and what we ought to do, don't we? Right? And so from the vertical field, the playing field of life, the eternal playing field, everything that you could ever need in Christ is yours. Done. The Bible says that for God so loved, the world that he gave his only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life fixed finished done jesus said on the cross it is finished so you can be made right with god immediately and eternally done so what's with all the do in scripture (laughs) what's with all the do here i mean how is some of that going Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. How's that going? Some of that's really hard, right? I mean, you drop to verse 14, you're really in trouble. Bless those who persecute you. (laughs) Uh, I need some work in that area, right? What happens in 1 through 11 is essential for you getting to the painting, the beautiful picture that is Romans chapter 12. And we're given the hint earlier in chapter 12. It says that we ought to renew our minds. And we'll get to that in a minute. But I want to zero in on verses 9 and 10. Two things happen here in verses 9 and 10. Two things happen. We're told what true love is. And we're told what it looks like. When it really boils down to it, when when you are fixed with Jesus in eternity, and that is done, and you no longer work for his love, because you already have it, It's in you. It's who you are. You are his child. You're not working to get into the family. You're in the family. So then as the family, we turn and we look with him. And it changes the way we see the world. And that's where this comes. It's not, hey, do this. It's, hey, this, we get to do this as God's kids. As we look with our heavenly father at the world that he loves. Right? Because that's, I, I quoted John 3.16, but verse 17 says that Jesus not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So as we turn and look, we look with love. We have this radical commitment to love as followers of Jesus. And so the biblical word for love in verse 9 is agape. In verse 9, and it's different in verse 10, and we'll get there in a second, but in verse 9, the biblical word is agape. And the definition in my lexicon was this. Love, affection, benevolence, especially a love feast. I mean, now you're speaking our language, right? Like, if I'm going to feast on something as a follower of Jesus, it's going to be love. 
The love that God has given to us. And then another time it's used as the word dear when we hold something dear to our heart. And it's used all over the New Testament. And you know what's amazing is 86 times it's used as the word love, 27 times as the word charity, one time as the word dear, another time as a feast of charity. And you know what? Not one time in those does it have anything to do with our selfish desires. Because what does verse 9 say? It says, let love be what? Genuine. Let love be genuine. I think in our own culture, we tend to hear that as saying, oh, I got to genuine up my love. <laughs> that's, not, that's not real love, is it? Genuine love is when you're struggling, you let people know you're struggling. It's not perfect. The Heavenly Father's agape love for you is perfect. But love being genuine means I love you enough to be real with you. Genuine love. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Confession time, all right? Just to make sure you know your pastor's not perfect. Yeah. Well, you didn't laugh at that. Thank you. Because that's not true at all. But just Tuesday night at the Coon House, I was the problem. Uh, she cannot in agreement. She's like, yep, you were... Right? Tuesday night, I was the problem. Right? I, I, I did not do that. I was kind of grumpy. I was kind of loud. I was short with my family. I didn't hold fast to what is good. I didn't abhor evil in that moment. And there's an aspect of this true love when you read that in Romans 12 where you go, that's impossible. And you're right. Like when you read 9 through 21, on your own, when you're living in the flesh as I was Tuesday night, it's impossible. It's really impossible. I was living in the flesh, and when you're living in the flesh, we're sinners. And like I said before, you drop down to verse 14, we're all in trouble. Because even if I can get it right with the people close to me, what about the people far away from me? What about the people that don't treat me the way I want to be treated? There's a, an aspect of God's law here that is sufficiently crushing, right? We sang about it. The pressing, the crushing, the grinding that the Spirit must do in us to make sure that we're aware that on our own without Him, we are sinners. But don't you love James chapter 4, verse 6 through 10? You know, Romans and James are often pitted against each other as opposites or enemies, that one is for doing and one is for done. But don't you love James chapter 4? They live in perfect harmony with each other because here's what it says, but he, God, gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. Some of you are here today for this sentence. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. You see, because when grace goes in, eventually grace will go out. 
I was not going to have a list for you today, but I couldn't help myself because a list just arose out of the text at me. So if you're a note taker, you're in luck. So even though your sheet is blank, I want to give you three things, okay? Number one, true love is genuine. True love is genuine. The genuine aspect of true, loves and true love in Romans 12:9 is your ability to be genuine. To come back to the family on Wednesday and say, Dad blew it. <laughs> Dad was living in the flesh. And God has grace for you and me. And we should for each other. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. True community is not found. True community is forged in love. It is not found. It's forged in love. True community recognizes that every person is sinful and is in a process of sharpening, is in a process of walking with Jesus and becoming more like Jesus every day. And we need each other for that. And we go to tons of scripture. Just do a Google search of why you need other people in your life from the Bible. Iron sharpens iron, right? And so we need each other Because true love is forged. On Tuesday, I didn't forge it. But Wednesday, I had an opportunity to forge it. Right? There's an aspect of it that is work. And that leads us to verse 10. Because if we get honest and genuine in love, right? If I drop the act and recognize that I am a sinner, but that I I am in process... And I'm walking with Jesus and I need my family, I need my community, I need my church to do that. How do I work towards that? How how do I walk forward in that? And verse 10 tells us, it says, love one another with, what? Brotherly affection. The word love there is not agape love because you can't bring perfect love to the table. You can bring true love though. Because as God gives you his perfect love and you get genuine about that, as you recognize that I'm not that, I'm in progress, I'm renewing my mind daily with you in community, I come to this second kind of love. Now listen, what, what does it look like to love someone with brotherly affection? Camden and I have three kids. The two oldest are boys and they're the best of friends and it's so much fun. It's like I was telling somebody yesterday, they watched a soccer game with me, and for the first time ever, they watched the whole game and were into it. It was awesome, right? And then I realized, like, oh my gosh, that means I'm old. Like, my kids are old enough to do this with me. But their best friends are so fun. But you know what? Man, they they fight, too. I mean, they can get after it with each other, and they do. They're very genuine in their relationship. They would both tell you, I love my brother. But they would also clearly have problems with each other. (laughs) And they will fight with each other. But you know what I love about that? That in that genuine, honest love, that brotherly affection, they are the fastest people to move past an offense that I've ever seen. Why? Because in that genuine love, they're real. They're really real with each other. But they can forgive each other faster than it's a beautiful picture of brotherly affection forgiveness flows freely between the two of them and it's awesome the greek word for love as i said in verse 10 is not agape it's a different word it's not charity it's not gift love it's relationship it's the word philostorgos it comes from the storge word that i mentioned earlier and here's its definition kindred fond of natural relatives 
leading to fraternal towards fellow Christians. And that sounds fancy, but we get this. We understand this because growing up, we could be so at odds with our parents. We could be so at odds with our brothers and sisters, our siblings. We could be in a fight with our friends, like any kind of that. But, I mean, we could, farther. We could mercilessly be making fun of them. But as soon as somebody else did, oh no. That's a problem. No, you don't make fun of my mom. You don't make fun of my family. I mean, you could be so at odds with them. But if somebody steps on that territory, no way. We understand that. We understand that, that whole concept. The last word of the sentence, that first sentence in verse 10, is affection. So it says, love one another, like have this fondness, this lean towards the people of God with brotherly, we just talked about that, we get that, but brotherly what? What does that kind of love look like? Affection. Brotherly affection. Here's what that word means. It means the love for which, for which Christians cherish each other as siblings. What, what, are we, what are we trying to get to as we get honest with each other in city groups? What, what are we trying to get to? Honesty and trust. That we would love each other with brotherly affection. Affection is a great word. And that's not a weird thing. It's kindness. It's kindness. Look at the rest of verse 10. It tells you what that looks like. It says, instead of looking for the bad, you look for the good, right? What does it say? Outdo one another in showing honor. If I'm working so hard to outdo you in honor, I will not have time to see all the problems that you have. Can I just be real? Like as Christians, we're really bad at that. We're quick to see what's wrong and we always forget to see what's good. Always is strong. Kim would have a problem with me saying always. That we, we have this thing in our marriage where we can throw flags, right? Like always is a flag word. Like a lot of times. <laughs> We're bad at that. Outdo one another in showing honor because number two, true love honors. True love honors. Love is not a directionless emotion. It is not directionless. Love is an orientation that comes from Jesus. It's otherworldly. It's countercultural. And it turns us, it turns our heart toward kingdom values. It looks for and sees the good. 1 John 3.14 lays it out beautifully. It says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. We in Christ have a radical commitment to love. I mean, I could wax on and talk about all the ways we can show love to each other, but I think you know. I think we know. I think we know what that looks like. And in case you don't, uh, here's what I think is most helpful. Instead of me waxing on about it, it's to just put in your hands the Scripture has tons of what we call one another's in the Bible. And so in your worship guide, there's a handout. 
and it looks like these guys. You might need a magnifying glass because I made it really small for you. But uh, 59 times on this sheet, you're told by the Word of God to do something for one another. And so rather than me wax on eloquent about it, I wanted it to be in your hands. If you don't have a worship guide, these will be in the back at the end. You can grab one on your way out the door. Okay? But 59 times in Scripture, we're told exactly what it looks like to love someone with brotherly affection. What does it look like to outdo one another in showing honor? 59 ways you can do it. And here's my encouragement to you. Are you up for it? I want you to read that list every day this week. That's your homework. Just read 59 times a day that you can look with Jesus at one another. That it doesn't have to be about us. It can be about the other. Because those 59 things are the guardrails of our relationships. It's also what the world needs from the church most. It's what Jesus prayed for in John 17, and we talk about it every chance we can here. That that is the way that the world will know that Jesus is God. Not by our apologetics, not by our great sermons. What does Jesus pray for? That the world would know that he is God by the way that we love each other. That's the difference. That's the difference maker. It's how they will see Jesus because, number three, true love is affectionate. With affection, verse 10 says, and that is otherworldly. That's not from this world. We do need love in this world. We don't do gift love. So I want to give you that 59 one another's and ask you to read through them every day this week. Earlier in chapter 12, we're told to renew our minds daily, to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice and that that's our reasonable worship. What's the most basic thing we can do as a follower of Jesus? What's the most basic thing we can do as gift love comes into our life and we turn and look with Jesus as he begins to conform us into his image? What is it, what, what's the most basic thing we can do? Renew our mind. And what happens when we renew our mind, when we fill it with spirit-filled things? 59 times we're told to look for what's best for the other. Let's be about that as a church. Let's be about that in our community. Because here's the reality. You and I, we don't go to Redeemer. We don't go to Redeemer. You and I, we are Redeemer. Because it's not about this building. It's not about any of that. It's about us. It's about us being in community, in relationship with each other, living out the one another's in Scripture. Because God loved us first. He first loved us. And because he loved me, I now can look and love you needing nothing in return. Showing affection for each other through the one another's. That's how we'll change our city. That's how we'll reach our city. Because God is love. And you and I need.